Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovations. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another outstanding episode of Finding Your Frequency. I am your host for the day, and I am joined in studio with none other than senior executive producer D. Daniels. D, welcome. Well, thank you very much. I am here. I'm happy, excited to co-host today's show. Um, uh, yeah. It's going to be a good one. Uh, you know, I always like talking about, uh, you know, life and and all the pursuit of happiness and all of those pieces. And we've done a couple of episodes uh, recently on some of that. Uh, the last episode we did was uh, professionalistic qualities with Gretchen. And Gretchen <laughs> was an awesome a guest. We had her on. Um, before we get too far into the show, though, a couple of things. Voice America is going to be on site September 7th uh, with Full Color Movement. You can check it out at fullcolormovement.com. We're going to be out there uh, passing out Gatorade and feeding the homeless uh, in conjunction with Crystal Richardson, one of the hosts here on the network. Again, that's fullcolormovement.com. Go check that out. Um, we are still in need of you know, backpacks and clothes and shorts and all those types of things from sizes small to double, double, triple, extra large. Uh, you never know what size people are, so we need to have a lot of that on hand. If you have questions about how you can get involved, uh, email us at info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's coming up on September 7th. Big shout out to Crystal Richardson for tying us all in with that, and we uh, are, are happy to go out and help those folks. Uh, and of course, big shout out to Mr. Jeff Spinard, who just got home from his trip today. I know he's listening, and I want to give him a, a what's up and uh, uh, wish he was here in the studio with us. I know. Hi, <laughs> Jeff. We wish you were here. We miss you. So we have an awesome guest today. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Limitless with our guest, Dr. Terry Cummings. And of course, we have uh, Dee here. And Terry has such an interesting story. It's just amazing. You know, uh, one of 13 children, father of three sons in the NBA. He's a pastor. He's a singer, songwriter. I mean... What can't Terry do? I, I, I don't know. I, he, I know he has some more secrets. Well, we'll get he is, to it. He's truly limitless. So we want to welcome onto the show Dr. Terry Cummings. Dr. Terry, welcome. Thanks, Ryan. How are you? Good, good, good. Hey, Terry. How we doing? We're doing awesome, um, you know, talking about you and all the things that, that you do. I mean, obviously, I don't know how you have time for anything else. Um, someone was asking me, I was talking to somebody, they were like, he sings too? I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Terry Cummings, you know, Finding Your Frequency is a radio show that's all about, you know, talking with business people, entrepreneurs, and all these people about, you know, how they got their frequency in life and in business. And, you know, one of the things we always like to start off with before we get into the huge Q&A and, you know, picking your brain and finding out, you know, all about you. But let's just take a step back and maybe start from the beginning i mean because yeah. being one of 13 children right growing up uh, uh growing up in chicago uh, and then going into the nba i mean that had to be one heck of a story and then of course i know that you were uh, uh, ordained as a pastor also um when you were a young man as well so kind of right. just tell us the story about uh, about dr terry cummings and how you found your frequency in life oh man i think i don't know that there's a simple way to start but i could tell you that the initiation to it was growing up in my grandparents' home one summer uh, from, from I was about 16 years old. Um, and I'm a really transparent person, so if I say something that makes you sit back and see a little bit, just bear with me. Um, at 16, um, I had got a young lady pregnant. I had my first son. I was 17 years old. During that summer, my mother sent me down to the country in Hammond, Indiana, where I was born to spend that summer with my grandparents. And it was in that time that, like, at least two major things happened to me. One was I, I found Christ, you know, and I became a believer. Uh, the second was I grew from 5'8 to 6'4 over that summer, which was about <laughs> three to four months. Wow. wow. When I left Chicago to come to Indiana, I was average height for most of the cats that I grew up with. When I came back home, I was head and shoulders over all of them, including my oldest 
my my brother that's a year older than me, who was really the pick of the litter. Wow. He was the one that everyone believed would be, you know, if anybody was going to be something out of those 13 children, it was going to be him. But when I came back from Indiana and had been exposed to to, to God and, and the reality of relationship with God and, and then spent time with people other than the people I grew up with. I grew up with all everything from pimps to prostitutes, drug dealers, murderers, and all of that. And then you go down here in the country, these just good, wholesome people who move slower. And mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that really helped me that I have been able to pinpoint is that I slowed things down when I got to Indiana. And by mm-hmm. slowing things down, I started to see myself as I really was. I wasn't wow. moving as fast as you have to move in Chicago because you, you either always hustling or, or getting hustled or somebody's trying to get or take something from you. And when you got down there, everybody was just trying to love on you and, 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 and give the best. It gave me an opportunity to see that all the world was not like growing up down the street from Cabrini Green, which we lived on Willow Halstead. Mm-hmm. And Cabrini Green was on Halstead Street. And so uh, further, about three or four blocks down. But we would spend all our time at Cabrini Green hustling and doing everything we we could do just to stay alive. And then you wind up in Hammond, Indiana, and you find out, man, there's other parts of life. Wow. And there's other pieces and parts of the world, but that and, and then... You know, I did. I only played two years of high school ball. I mean, I averaged two inches a year until my senior year, and I, I was six nine at, at that point. And um, I wound up recruiting myself to go to DePaul because my high school coach wouldn't let them near me. So I called them and asked them. You know, all the major colleges were recruiting me around the country. I called them and asked them, how come you all haven't come to see about me? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was interested in playing for Ray Meyer more than I was for playing for DePaul. Right. And uh, they told me that our, my coach did not uh, uh, necessarily let them through. So I went in and sat down and, and interviewed them and wound up signing a letter of intent to play uh, for DePaul. And, I mean, the rest is kind of history in a sense. But those were the two, two major things. And aside from that was just learning as much as possible from every opportunity I got of watching other people, whether it was uh, a, a lesson of, of courage and watching them overcome or a lesson of discouragement and watching them fall. I learned from other people's mistakes along the way, and it really helped me. Wow. I think that's awesome. I think I remember um, when I was reading one part uh, of the book that talks a little bit about, um, I think it was uh, Coach Howard, is it, at Carver when you were in high school? and right. how. Um, you know, he had you benched and you were like, of course, thinking that you shouldn't be benched. You should be out there playing. And, you know, but but he had a purpose and a reason for it, which you understood. But I think you carried that over when you played for Coach Meyer as well, once you went to DePaul. So let's talk a little bit about that lesson. Well, that that is a lesson I believe that all of us have to learn. And I believe that the the ultimate uh, motif of of the lesson is that no one gets to go or gets that turn before that time, you know, and it doesn't matter that you may be prepared in your mind. It doesn't matter that you and everyone around you think that you're the best person for the job. The thing is time and chance or time and opportunity. You know, you wait, you always keep yourself prepared for when the time comes or the opportunity comes so that you can step up because you got everything in place. And because of the, the teaching of coach Horace Howard at Harvard high school and benching me, it not only taught me, it humbled me. It told me and showed me, you are not as good as you think you are. And even if you are, you are not going to get past the principles that are in place. You know, he had seniors that had been on that team for three and four years. and He was not going to play them. He was not going to play me in front of them, no matter how good I thought I was. And once, once I finished moping around and, <laughs> and you know, just <laughs> having the pity party by myself, you know, it made me not only respect Howard, it made me, Coach Howard, it made me respect my teammates wow. because they earned the right to be where they were. And I had to learn that that was the responsible thing to do. That's so right. that by the time I got to DePaul and Mark McGuire was there, the team had just gone to the final four. And I got there and they told me, you are not going to be the man here. You're going to have to sit down for about two years and play a role. And so they put me in a position I'd never played. I was, because I grew so fast, I mm-hmm. grew from guard skills into having to play the low post. And I was always strong physically, so I wound up having to play the strongest guy and the biggest guy on the opposing team. 
when I got to DePaul at six nine, two hundred pounds, I was playing wow. seven footers with seven feet, three hundred pounds, and you know, and and that was what my responsibility was, and it was not to gripe, it was not to moan and groan, it was just to take the opportunity when the time came to show the overall skills of what I had. So the first two years, mm-hmm. I was a backup player, but I started every game I played at DePaul, but my first one. Uh, that I that I can remember, I believe, because right. we had a game against UCLA, and I think I talk about it in the you book. Do. Yes. student <laughs> Teddy Grubbs had mm-hmm. a great game. I was having a, a pretty I'm good game. Beats UCLA. Just exploded, but his game was <laughs> his game was way far and above, and I was on the bench because he was playing so well, and I was cheerleading and rooting right. because again, those lessons from Howard came to me again. You know, mm-hmm. you can't mope and groan. You got to be the best you you can be, so they'll know. So when the game was over, I went to Coach Ray Meyer, and I said to Ray, uh, Coach Ray, I said, Ray, I said, I appreciate everything you've done in bringing me here. I said, uh, I'm going to root and cheer as long as you keep me down there. I said, right. but I promise you, I'm going to make it hard for you to keep me on this bench. <laughs> you know, and then that was my and that, and that was, was my attitude, and I and I never sat on the bench again in college. I like I that. that. Yeah. I like you it. know, Terry, I I, I um, I've coached for a couple of years soccer. Uh, you know, my daughter she plays soccer, and I said to myself, well, what better way to be involved in in her stuff but to be the coach of the team and mm-hmm. you know I, I at first kind of undertook the the task of coaching the team is kind of like um oh, I'm just doing this because it's it's what should be done mm-hmm. right and I didn't quite understand what I was going to get out of it <laughs> you know what I mean right uh, right I have a patience problem right that I just run out of patience quickly and let me tell you when you start coaching five-year-old girls playing soccer you learn patience yeah. really fast. <laughs> wow, I bet you do. You know, and it's one of those things. You, where, and you, you talk about some of the things that you learned from your coaches, and I just think that that's amazing. And I want to remind the the listening audience that all of these things, you you have control of, over those as parents of when you yeah, start you to instill those into your children. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we we talk about you know happiness and those things, and you know. You got to you got to work on those things from the very beginning and from the start of whatever it is. And I like how you put the whole. I had to just stop <laughs> moaning and groaning and you know yeah. kind of just yeah. you know sit there and figure it out and work through your you know your own emotions as it related to what you were being taught and what you were right. going through. And how 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 difficult of that was that for you knowing that you know hey I'm a really good basketball player but I got to <laughs> sit here. Um, like was it was it hard for you from an emotional standpoint? point to like work through yeah, that at times, yeah at times it was because of two things one uh there was a stigma on my life uh from the time i was born i was a little thick fat baby a little black gerber baby <laughs> and uh and, and my mother would make my dad carry me because i was so thick and i walked real bow-legged you know when you normally the big babies do that and uh they nicknamed me Mule because they said no matter what, if I didn't want to do something, they couldn't make me do it no matter what kind of discipline they, they, <laughs> they prescribed to Wow. It. But uh, the, the other thing was um, I had been playing against professional athletes since I was 16 years old in the Pro-Am League in Chicago. And it right, right. I mean, huge. everybody from Dr. J. Everybody. To all active players over in Europe, they yeah. would all come to our, our game and play summer league like it was the Rutgers. It was our Rutgers in Chicago. That's yeah. awesome. So I was more crazy. prepared. Yeah, I was more prepared to be the man than most of the guys on that team, probably with the exception of Mark Aguirre because he was really head and shoulders above everybody yeah. at the time. <laughs> but for me, what happened was uh, my junior year, and it just so happens between my sophomore and junior year, when my sophomore year ended, I almost uh, quit college because I, I was – really heavy into college, Camp, the campus ministry, uh, the, uh, the Jesuit school, but they had given over the uh, campus ministry to me. And so I was teaching and we were having ministry almost six, seven days a week on the campus. And it wasn't black and it wasn't white. It was everybody. I mean, it was as economical uh, as you could imagine it to be. I mean, as far as diversity of religions and beliefs. And um, the teachings were as diverse as well. Uh, they did conflict at times, but, um, and, and I remember sitting down, and this was another life lesson for me. Uh, I sat down with Ray Meyer and told him, I said, I'm considering um, um, bowing out and, and going into full-time ministry. And, uh, 
And it's funny, you know, how you have those awe-inspiring moments from time to time in your life where everything shuts down and whatever you're listening to starts to become the voice of God because you kind of, you hear it as absolute as you believe you would hear God's voice when he's speaking to you, whoever it is. It could be a baby, you know, it could be a song, it could be something on television. And Ray said to me as clear as day, he said, see, don't you think that you could touch more people with this platform that you're given than if you just go out there and stay in, in, in the little corner of Chicago and you, you pastor, preacher, minister. And man, I'm telling you, it, it wasn't like I didn't know it. It was the fact that I heard it really clear as if it were the voice of God. I'm not saying that Ray Meyer was God, was God but I heard God in his voice. And it, it shifted my whole life. And I wound up coming back for my junior year. And the amazing thing was my coming out party was a national televised game in Louisville. And um, they all act like they didn't know I could do what I could do. But everybody had to pause. Because that first game was like a 39 and 20 game against Louisville. That's taking people to school, Terry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that was that was actually what I was used to because I just would play all out, you know, balls out, just go and get it, you know. Uh, from the time that uh, ball is thrown up to the time the popcorn starts popping, you know, you put everything out there on the floor. So when the game is over, you don't have time to have any regrets because you did everything you could do. You can't change anything. Yeah, I listen. But I listen that to was a. a, a I listen to a mor- I listen to a morning sports show every day, and uh, one of the guys is a former NFL player, and he talks about that that switch, right? Uh, that 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 athletes have, um, especially professional mm-hmm. athletes, right? They have this uh, the ability to, when they step on the court, the field, um, whatever the case may be, they go from you know loving father, husband, awesome human being, and all of that to flipping the switch to yeah, now you know, you, you get, you're like, all right, it's beast mode time. You know, he calls it he calls yeah. it ta- tapping into his inner rage tree. <laughs> yeah, and and sometimes you have to literally. If you really like someone on the other team, you have to find something about them that you don't like so you can get to that mode. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, I, and, I, and I've been guilty of that most of my career. Well, and that's something, I mean, as, a, as an NBA player, I mean, there, you, you, you get to the NBA, you get to that level, and it's not, it's not college anymore. The game right. is faster. Right. Everybody's bigger. Everybody's stronger. Um, better. How was that transition for you as you came out of college and, and, and was a, a rookie in 82? It wasn't the most difficult transition for me was not the talent level because, again, I had been playing against it since I was 16 years old. Uh, the biggest difference was we went from playing one college season to three in one year. So we would play 30-plus games in a college season. In my first NBA game, the first year in the NBA, we played over 100 games that were pretty much equal to three college seasons in one year. Wow. And, and 18 years later, I was still doing it, you know. But that was the, the biggest transition was the number of games and travel. Right. When you're traveling, you could be, your schedule could be four games, five nights, in, in four different cities. And that was before the advent of people taking uh, their own private jets or charters. We, were, we had to get up at 4 or 5 in the morning, go to the local airport, and catch a connecting flight. Because we were playing, I played in, broke in in San Diego with the Clippers in 82. And everything, there was no direct flight except to Dem- to Denver or L.A. You know, oh, on the oh, that's so funny. I was watching the NFL draft, right? Um, and I'm, I'm a Cardinal fan. Uh, and so we drafted the number one overall pick, right? Of course and you then did. Here's, here's the, well, we had the first pick, so we had, we, we were going to pick the first person regardless. But so we, we get Kyler Murray, right? I was supposed to be this awesome quarterback. And the next thing I know, I'm seeing uh, news footage, right? He was in Phoenix, like within eight hours or seven hours of his pick. Like yeah. the team sent a private jet out there Go to pick, pick him up, up. Yeah. and bring him here for the press they're, conference. They're spoiled these That's what days, I was going to say. Like, I don't, I don't, so these, these new guys don't oh know. Oh, my gosh. They're spoiled. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have to say this, though, because the last seven or eight years of my, my career were the years, and maybe the last ten, where we, 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 we got into the, the private jet thing. Right. You but got spoiled a little bit, too. Career. Yeah, it extended my career. Yeah. You don't have all that wear and tear. 
I mean, you still got to hit the buses. And right. you know, when I broke in with San Diego, them jokers would put us on cabs sometimes. You know, Jeez. we'd be two, three, four deep in a cab going from the airport to to the hotel. Back then, we carried our uniforms, had to wash our own uniforms, had to carry our own uh, shoes. And you were responsible. If you didn't, you got fine. Right, for all that. Stuff, you know? And nowadays, uh, there's a trainer on every team whose responsibility it is to carry all, all Yeah, for all those things. Yeah, you, you the don't have to do manager. that. The equipment manager. But I... <laughs> yeah, that's, travel. Wow, that that's that's interesting. But you know what I was thinking about too, Terry, and I and I think because um, you do talk about it in the book, and I think I look back because even I worked in in sports as a reporter, so I, that's how I met a lot of these guys. But uh, one of the things you say that makes a lot of sense when you talk about the talent that you played with within you know the time that you were in the league. I mean, you spent eighteen seasons in the team. Uh, in the league, but during that time, the level of talent and the number of people with that level is very unique to how you look at things yeah. now. Talk Absolutely. about that a little bit. Well, the, the parity that is now, uh, the last time it existed like this was right before Magic Bird and, uh, and, and Doc, well, Magic and Bird came into the league, and right before them, Doc and all those guys from the ABA came into the NBA. So the NBA was finding its identity at the same time they came in, and they created the identity of the NBA. Wow. And this group is doing the same now uh, yeah. through the culture of hip-hop and all the other sociological changes and shifts that go with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, like, one of the, the things is, is that the talent level, uh, they're very talented. They're just not as talented as we were as a group that came in with right in that group with Bird and Magic and, and Aguirre and Isaiah right. and all those guys. <laughs> all the those reason, guys. The reason for it, you know, well, the reason for it is we were men already. Because most of us had were either married, had children, and had come into a man's world. The NBA right. was, was, was a bunch of grown guys in there. In fact, yeah. when I got to the NBA, it might have been it might as well have been WWF wrestling. Because <laughs> all the big guys that I ran into all in the them. league when I first got there, their grill was gone. I mean, because back then you could fight, right. and so guys were getting hit all the time, and all the front row and the bottom row of their teeth were gone. <laughs> I mean, these guys would stick out their mouthpiece, and you'd be like, "Oh my God!" Yeah, you, <laughs> you know what happened? That's funny that you bring that up. There's, you know, there's always the Michael Jordan and LeBron James debate, right? And I always I always tell everybody. Oh, I say, come on, I always no, tell everybody. I'm like, I'm like, it. you can't even debate that. No, you can't no even debate, debate that. I, like, I'm to, from Chicago. And, and, well, and, and in today, and in today's <laughs> NBA, wasn't the same as that NBA. No, you know what I mean. And no, like, totally Michael, Michael, Michael Jordan is. Michael Jordan will 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 run circles around LeBron James. Circles. See, and you, jump over you, him too. You, you want to see? You want to go there? Uh, but I'm from Chicago, so I you had a you little bias there. on that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I, I mean, I, I got to interview a lot of those guys, and 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 so I, yeah, definitely, I'll I'll go there with you. But it is, it's a totally different um, level of talent. That's why I wanted him to talk a little bit about that and, and spending that much time. I mean, that's a long time, eighteen seasons, um, and you mm-hmm. played for. Seven was it? Seven different teams. The Clippers, the Bucks, the Spurs, yeah. the Sonics, the Seventy Sixers, the Knicks, and the Warriors. Which one was your favorite to play for? Um, I enjoyed <laughs> playing in Milwaukee and San Antonio, but I, I really enjoyed the latter part of my career where I was not the man um, because I got to really hone in on on my uh, leadership skills. And I was respected for that. That's why I played 18 years. They kept calling me to lead that young guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a there was a disconnect between uh, what should have been a liaison between the players and the coaches and the GM and the owner. And and the teams that I wound up going to, including going back to Milwaukee um, after I left San Antonio, they all needed someone like me who could speak the language of the young people and the language of the people who were in leadership. Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good point. Um, I was watching a press conference with the Cardinals uh, yesterday, and uh, the the new quarterback made a statement like, you know, they, they said, well, how are you and Larry Fitzgerald getting along? And he goes, well, you know, that's actually a really tough question because Larry's old enough to be my dad. 
right? And so you have <laughs> you have these instances in sports where you know yeah. these young guys are coming in, and how do you communicate a you know? And even in Kyler Murray's case, like he's not even a millennial; he's twenty years old. He is a Gen Z. He's even younger than millennial generation, and and yeah. and we're still trying to figure out how to talk to millennials. And so there's got to well, be you know leaders like you in the locker room that are you know helping to bridge that gap between the younger generation and the coaches and the and and those those folks and the trainers and everybody but well there's a couple things that that'll help you you know because i talked i had my sons were the ages of a lot of the guys i was playing with by the time i got to the end of my career i was a grandfather already you know i mean i have 10 grandchildren and at the time i had about three or four and i was still playing in the league because i retired at 40 and a lot of these kids, my children were older than them. Oh, they were wow. playing in the league. And so where I ran out, I wasn't afraid to talk to my sons and ask them what was going on. And, and then I paid attention because I come from the street. So the, the street thing about, uh, you know, having an edge when you grow up in the streets, you never lose it. And it helps you because most of the people you have to deal with are coming from the same environment. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's not Caucasian brothers per se. It's more look, young black cats, whether they're coming from the south or the north or the east or even, you know, the west. They, they, they have the same vernacular as far as lifestyle as you do. And so it's not complicated. So when they get to talking about you don't know, I said, no, 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 bro. Let me set you down and give you the ABCs of what's really going on because you can get by on that talking to these other people. And then it's not just conversation. The third piece that I was... Uh, talking about is uh is you have to as as an elder as as an experienced senior uh player you still have to be able to play because that third piece is what can help you when it comes to teaching them how to play the nba game because it's not the high school game it's not aau it's not college it's not european the nba game when we came into it it took you they would say about three years to learn how to be and play professional basketball on the NBA level. And the reason for it is because we had defensive and offensive books that were as thick as encyclopedias. And you had to learn all these defenses and offenses, and, and no two of them were the same. Though they looked the same, you didn't defend the same, and you didn't offensively play them the same. And then you had to learn all five positions, which I think coaches get lazy now on the pro level. Just um, You just learn the big man stuff. And you learn little man stuff. No, that's why the Suns can't win. They play. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, the game that they play now is, is, is important. <laughs> it's important that they learn all the positions because there is no big man in the post. There's no true uh, reality to say uh, this is a big man or this is a little man. Because big man, seven footer, is playing at the three point line. Uh-huh. What made a big man a big man is he got down there in what we call the blood in the paint. Yep. And he did work down there. That's what made him the big man. It wasn't just his height, you know. He put in work down there. And if you came down there, you had to defend in the blood, in the pain. And you had to work twice as hard to keep him out of there. Yeah, we can, we can sit here and have a conversation all day long about how sports and basketball specifically has changed since when you played until now. And we'd probably eat up a whole nother two shows just on that I know. Topic. I have to have Terry back. See, <laughs> yeah, I, Terry, I like, to t- I like sports, too. I, I, I very much sports like sports. Guy. So we could, t- we could talk about that all day. I got a question, though. You know, as you as you're as you're working through the NBA towards like the latter part of your career and, you know, you're you're helping with the communication and bridging the gap. How did how did how does your you know being a, a, a being a pastor you know at the age of sixteen and already kind of living the lifestyle of, of of believing in Jesus? How did that eighteen years in the NBA help to amplify your message and you know and and later move into you know what you're doing with your uh, with your current ministries? Well, it um, it gave me a platform. And it gave me opportunity not to be perfect in the sense of uh, without fault, but it gave me a platform to be perfect in the sense of maturation growing up. Uh, because pastoring from the time I was 16 to the time I retired was a separate and different function contrasted to what I do now in pastoring. Because then I passed as pastors back then. Uh, and I, I came and I would run, take over the ministry so they get rest, so that their marriages could heal and their relationships just to, to bond together again. And uh, I started pastoring 
after I retired on my own, my own local church. And I've been pastoring that church now for going on 12 years. But nothing has prepared me more for pastoring than the NBA life, uh, the retirement, and the people. I thought I had known enough by the time I got to the point where I had to see my call to pastor. Mm -hmm. But when I started pastoring the local people here, I realized I didn't know nothing. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. because it's like watching somebody run their business and you work with them in their business and then mm-hmm. uh, eventually you start to run your own business and you, you start having conversations with yourself like, how did I miss this? Well, it was easy because <laughs> it was somebody else's business and they were carrying the brunt of the load and not you. And the moment it becomes yours, you then either have the choice to be enamored by it or, and, and, and when I say enamored, I mean caught up thinking that this is the joint or this is the thing or you learn how to be a pastor, how to be a shepherd, how to really care for who and what God cares for the way he does. And that's what has been the, the greatest testimony for me in pastoring. It has made me limitless came from pastoring because it taught me that my life had to be transparent. It wasn't just about being transparent before people, but transparency before God and honoring him, you know, and bringing back the integrity of, of being a true shepherd and a true pastor. Yeah, and I, I like the, 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 there's a quote on the back of your book that says, the more transparent we are, the less we have to camouflage or lie about. Being who you are right. is a great part of finding one's purpose and density. I love that statement. And, and yeah, yeah, that, that is, that is awesome. So, you know, as an, as, a, as an entrepreneur, Terry, I bet you, uh, you know, you, you have your entertainment group, uh, your publishing company, right. you know, so you're, you're, you're running businesses. You are an owner of businesses. And so that leads me into a big shout out to our NetSuite sponsor for the day. Uh, and Terry, I want you to ans- answer this question for me. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. So the problem growing businesses have is um, it, that keeps them from their numbers. Uh, they have like hodgepodge systems, right? They'll have, mm-hmm. you know, an accounting position, you know, another software for sales, a different right. software for inventory, you know, just a giant in, 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 uh, inefficient mess, taking up too much time, too many resources. And what does that do? That hurts your what? Your bottom line. Bottom line. Right. Got to keep those, those dollars in our pockets. Uh, so I wanted to introduce NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform giving you visibility and control that you need to grow. Right now, NetSuite is offering our listeners valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com forward slash frequency. That's netsuite.com forward slash frequency to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. Again, netsuite.com forward slash Frequency. Thanks, NetSuite. We appreciate what you guys are doing out there yes, trying to make our lives do. easier. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. So I think I was going to ask, um, now, Terry, you, you do have uh, your ministry there. and uh, Now, are you pastoring every Sunday? How is that working? I know you're doing some online things because people can actually, um, yeah. uh, you know, catch you uh, online because you always have some, some wonderful uh, messages that you're sending out. But do you have a local uh, uh, church there as well yeah. in Atlanta? Yeah, we have a yeah, we do. We uh, uh, are in Stone Mountain, Georgia, uh, and I, I speak Wednesdays. Uh, we have uh, prayer, prayer online, uh, on phone line, conference line, Friday, and Sunday morning, Thursday. Uh, do you want the address? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, yeah, like if but we have regular, uh, your regular, um, you know, I know some people have, you know, obviously every Sunday, or you're there, what, Tuesday, th- I know you said Thursday, Sundays. Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, three times a week we do service. Uh, at 5405 Memorial Drive in Georgia, Building I, 30083. Um, but we've been, uh, been, uh, been, been uh, what's, uh, what's, what's the website people can find out more information? Uh, church. H-E-M-I.Church. That is our website for the ministry. It is where we uh, place everything so people know what we're doing, uh, uh, when we're doing it. Uh, we do a lot of outreach, uh, mainly right now, feeding the families in the area once a month. Uh, we That's awesome. Go to city, city, uh, there's a food bank, Midwest Food Bank, that gives us uh, truckloads and stuff. We bring it in, box it up, and get it out, and share with the people, play with them. You know, we don't ask them to sign a whole lot of stuff. We 
our yeah. birds too. And yeah. we just really want to be a blessing to them. Yeah, that's awesome. Terry, you know what we're going to do real quick? I'm going to have you uh, hold, hold your thoughts. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, I want I want the listeners to listen to a couple of commercials that we have uh, uh, in relation to some stuff that we're doing charity event-wise uh, while while we have a couple of minutes. Uh, so we'll take a quick commercial break. You guys are tuned in to Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host today, Ryan Treasure, and my lovely co-host, D. Daniels, in studio yes, as well. hello. Big shout-out to Jeff Spinard. But uh, we'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back right after these messages. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Calling all Voice America listeners, hosts, employees, families, and friends. We're super excited about our Voice America Community Service Day to be held on September 7th. Let's join together with Full Color Movement Internationals, Give Hope Luncheon for the Homeless and Families in Need. Join us at the gym at 2320 North 7th Street in Phoenix from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Come volunteer and bring packaged foods for 300 people. We need snack bags, socks, shorts, and backpacks for size small to 5X. Let's do our part to make someone's day a little brighter with our smiles, songs, poems, and some games. Soaring with Eagles radio show host Crystal Richardson will be celebrating September birthdays that day, so let's join her nonprofit and help raise $30,000 for a van and scholarships for at-risk youth. Don't miss this opportunity to make a huge difference in the lives of those that need it most. For more information on our service day or to donate, contact Crystal Richardson at www.fullcolormovement.com or go to Soaring with Eagles on the Voice America Empowerment page today. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Finding Your Frequency with hosts Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. Connect with the show. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Finding Your Frequency Friday right here on yes. the Voice America Variety Channel. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure, and I'm joined in studio with my co-host, the lovely Dee Daniels. That's right. I'm Dee Daniels, and happy Friday to everybody. Yeah, yes. we have our guest on the line, uh, Dr. Terry Cummins. We were uh, you know, talking about all things basketball and life and pastoring and you know the the question had come up kind of earlier about uh, LeBron. Thank, yeah Le, thanks to you yeah, I, 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 and I knew you were yeah. going to do Jordan, that Jordan I was like don't LeBron. do it don't do it I but to. I knew you were going to do it that, you know. I, I, well I already knew you would be on my corner because you're from Chicago so all right I, you know I, yeah I'm on a rep 312 all day long Terry is too so <laughs> but well I don't know I don't know what Terry's going to do we're going to have to check yeah, it Terry, out Terry so what's your take on LeBron and Jordan uh, when I have often talked about the difference between them, I never talk about it in pertinence to them or in regard to them. I always talk about it in regards to the talent they had to go up against right. to get to where they are. And when you when you look at uh, the, the main, to me, the big difference between the two is that Mike played at a time when it was men in the league. I mean, it was guys that were doing numbers. They were physical. I mean, you, you, you're taking a lot away uh, from Mike to even compare him, even though their games are vastly different. Mike is more of a provider who can score. But the thing is, is that the thing is, huh? No, go ahead. Uh, yeah, the thing that made them, to me, different was, was not really so much about them. It was they played against. I mean, how can you consider someone to be the greatest of all time if they didn't play against the greatest players of all time? I'm just going to let you leave that right there. Yeah, so, okay. 
Ryan. Well, the game is different. I mean, you know, the 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 players are different. The game itself, the way it's played. You know, you talked earlier about yeah. you know big men in the paint. Like you don't see big men in the paint anymore. I I honestly oh, feel yeah. like I feel like the last big man in the paint that I ever watched that was any good was like Shaq. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Shaq was the last one to leave, and wow. I, I think the other thing to think about is. This game is not played with physicality until maybe the championship games mm-hmm. uh, come around. They let them play a little bit more as each round goes on. I, I've always thought, you know, when we um, when you measure it, you have to measure it by who who you're playing against. I mean, right. um, there's probably in the height of LeBron's um, playing, uh, there were probably about three or four teams that he really truly had to compete against. Wow. But in, in the time that Mike played, Mike had to compete every night because every team could. <laughs> every team was a contender at that right. time. Like every, you know, now they have, you know, like every, they're, they're power teams. There's like five teams in the NBA, mm-hmm. right, that are like these power teams and everybody else is just kind of, you know, just there to, so they have somebody to play against, I guess. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it appears that way. And then the, the other factor is that I, I hear a lot about um, outside of the Jordan, um, thing is this thing with the players trying to, you know, get three or four marquee players on one team so they a formal move toward a championship. And, and a lot of people complain about it. But as a player, I look back at all the years when we were forced to uproot our families and, and leave on a whim, on a moment's notice, because the owner had traded us because it was the best thing for him and his team. Right, right. And when I look at this thing now, that's how we got to this point. We got to this point because the owners were, were not as subjective in thinking about how this thing would overall affect the players and their families. Wow. And, but I think this is how we got to this point. Mm-hmm. We got to this point because the players started to realize that they didn't take control of their future, then the owners would. And, and I think it's gone too far because you got to find the balance of it. Right, right. I, I both, see what you're saying. Both parties are mutually important to the the national basketball for it to work. You have to have Absolutely. players, right? And you have to have coaches and owners and all that. You have to have both of those pieces in order for uh, for it to be successful. You have to have both of those pieces for me as a fan to turn the television on and be entertained by the game. And for me as yeah. a fan, that's half the reason why I am so, dis- so disinterested in NBA basketball right now because for the last 10 years, it seems like only five teams have been the teams that are winning champions championships other than like a fluke one here and there but it's not a fun product for you know for me you know when Mm -hmm. I when I used to watch basketball you know in the in the 90s and I used to watch Kevin Johnson and the Phoenix Suns and Dan Marley when they played against the Bulls and all that that was basketball right what what we see what we see now I don't know what it is I call it something else it was basketball like when I was in Chicago Mm -hmm. and they had like the three peats going on and maybe yeah you know when when the the Bulls beat the Suns in game seven for their three peat I know you know that um, when you when you create dynasties in um, in in this temporal uh, environment we live in now, you you basically create them from a vision or a perspective that you and you alone have, and this is the NBA's vision, right? Uh, and that is how we have gotten here, and uh, it has to shift and grow because that's what the NBA has always done. They have found a way, but. The, the connection piece, I think, that is most difficult for the NBA is the uh, the social piece because it has everything to do with the perception of people about the league, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't think that it's a it's a great sale if it's all black or all white. I think you have to find the right blend, and I think the NBA is doing a, as good a job as they can. Mm-hmm. But, but the difference is we have more Europeans than we've ever had in mm-hmm. the league right now. And, and, uh, but it right. has been... I remember years ago that it was a real big piece for them to to get the NBA into Europe and into other countries because what it did was it took all their national players and brought them to the NBA. A lot of those, the, the deadlift shrimps and, and those guys we played against when they were teenagers. Wow. By the time some of those guys came to the NBA, they were more experienced than all the kids coming out of college. 
because they had played against pros for years. Well, yeah, that's like what uh, you know. What I can't remember his first name. Uh, their last name is Ball, but I know that one of the Ball brothers. They didn't go to college. They sent yeah. the other. Yeah. They sent the other one over to Europe uh, to play basketball, mm-hmm. yeah, and he's, and he's over. Yeah, and he's over there playing. You know, pro ball. By the time he makes Amazing. it to the NBA, he's going to have much more experience than his brother. And that's yeah, true. and be better. And be much better because the 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 thing that he'll get there that he won't get here in the NBA is they're more physical. Right, they're now, a lot more they, physical. They switched. Yeah, mm-hmm. it switched around. It used to be they were soft. They they play a whole lot more physical, and their game is more up tempo and and faster pace and. And they've been doing it all their lives. And that's, that's, and that, that's the advantage, too, of like the draft that we had. Not this one, but the last year. Last year, right? DeAndre Aiden went number one to the right. Suns. And then I can't remember the other one. Luka Doncic, right? He went um, to the Mavericks. Luka Doncic is so much better of a basketball player just for the simple fact that he's already been playing pro ball since he was 18, 18 years 18. old over in Europe. And you can watch the difference where, where, where the first round pick, the first overall pick, is still kind of trying to figure stuff out two years into the season. Right. Luka Doncic is yeah. over here just smashing just people. Smashing. <laughs> Bam. Well, I wanted to ask you this, Terry, because, you know, there, there's a lot, uh, you know, socially going on with the NBA. Uh, obviously, you know, we had the whole thing with everybody, you know, with the players kneeling. But um, now the NBA recently uh, connected uh, and, and they're doing this deal with um, Jay-Z. Um, as it relates to, you know, trying to do more in terms of, of the social issues uh, uh, with the NBA. And I want to know your take on that because NFL? you can look at this from a big picture. So what are your thoughts about this? You mean the NFL? He's doing it's the NFL, I'm sorry, right? the was it the NFL or the NBA? I thought it was the NBA. Yeah, it's the NFL. The NFL is the the guys that are kneeling for national. Well, anthems. no, yeah, for the kneeling, NFL. but I meant that he was working on doing. Yeah, he was doing halftime performances yeah, with uh, with that with them. Yeah, that was. I, I read the um, the piece on that. I, I don't. I think it's it's a. Uh, I wouldn't rescind if I was him. What I'm doing, and the reason I wouldn't uh-huh. is who who are we to think that we have to stay in this place or this position of always fighting, and we can't have peace? Because right. at some point, someone has to get in the boat and start rowing across to the other side to create the balance. I mean, we, we don't have right. to be in this place where we're always argumental about everything that goes on. At some point, we have to find the truth out in the people <laughs> so we can all get along. Terry, Terry we, have to, we have to stop treating this the same way the Republicans and the Democrats treat yeah. their, our government. Exactly. That's literally, it's, it's, it's not it's politics, literally, it's ball. But it's literally <laughs> the same thing. It's two. It's it's, it's it's you know one side versus the other, and right. no, nobody's willing to like take a step forward and meet in the middle so we can start to make change or make I progress agree. or do I anything. Totally agree. And so then you end totally up doing agree. nothing. You get stuck. Right. It's like it's like a dually in the mud. Yeah, I said it, it shouldn't really matter. The whole point of it all is is, is getting some parity and some balance, showing people that you know America is really who we see it is. America is that country. That is not hypocritical, though we know at the core of it, it is because of all the politics. Right, right. And that's true. It's a, you know, it's always been political, but I think it's just getting a little bit uh, ridiculous. But OK, wait, before, because I know we could go on and on talking about sports, but I do want to also kind of talk a little bit about uh, the music, because a lot of people don't know that you also are an artist and, and you've been singing for years and uh, as well as pastoring. So. Um, your CD, uh, TC, finally. Let's talk about that music. It's born out of something I was really hard-headed about because I really felt led to do it a long time ago, but it was such a conflict amongst uh, uh, people, religious-minded people, you know, because they, when you are spiritual or you are perceived as right. being uh, a spiritual leader, mm-hmm. they don't want you to do nothing but spiritual things, as, as if the rest of you don't even exist, like... You know, I have to ask the question to people, uh, and it may come across kind of uh, raw or rare, but I ask people all the time when they tell me, you know, you shouldn't be doing this kind of music. I say, well, let me ask you a question. When you, with your wife, and you all want to have a romantic <laughs> moment, are you listening to Amazing Grace, or are you listening to Brian McKnight or Luther Vandross? <laughs> And what they tell you. <laughs> you know, they, it's like they didn't think about it because it's almost no, they like... Didn't. I'm wondering why, I, I'm wondering why you had to ask that question in the first place. Because for some people, Ryan, for some people, they don't even <laughs> think about right. it. They just think it's wrong because we've been taught, especially in black 
circles of church, Pentecostal, Baptist, we've been taught for years that the only music you should sing is gospel music. That's not true because the, the, the man that God created in his image and likeness is made in three dimensions. He's made in spirit, he's made in mind, and he's made in body. And the body, because the body is the house, it houses the spirit and the mind and causes it to be able to influence itself in the natural realm, which is the realm of men. So the thing is, is if I always speak the one part of that two parts or two thirds mm-hmm. of who I am is uneducated and unfulfilled. Right. So, so you I, have I to. Believe... <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. I said, so you have to explain why, you know, you got the titles like feeling you and, you know, love takes yeah. time. And, and so you really have to explain all I want. You know, I'll do yeah. it for you. Yeah. You, you got to explain a, all I'm that. A, I'm a married guy. Love does take time. It really does. Yeah, it, does. it takes time. It yeah, takes effort, it right? Does. You got you got to put some work into it. You're gonna cry. You're gonna laugh. You're gonna you might even bleed a little yeah. bit from time to time. You never know. Right, right. I, well, I, yeah, I was and, listening and, to to the song, so I don't know. Maybe I'll fall in love because I was listening. It was sounding good. What do you think, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was vibing it. I was vibing it. I'm like, yeah. See, yeah, that's this love song. All right, you can fall in love. Well, you know what? It 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 it. it uh, it lends itself to the reality of uh, in the uh, sixth chapter of the book, I believe, there's a chapter in there about um, God's uh, principle of love. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is if you don't understand how important love is in mm-hmm. our lives from day to day, then it's no wonder we have the confusion we have because we have confused what love is as contrasted to lust. Because when you love conditionally, it's lust. It's not love. When you love unconditionally, that's pure love, because you can't get greater love than to love someone just I mean, in spite of the fact that they're incapable of loving you back. I mean, you have to choose when to get off the train if it ain't working for you, but it is your choice always. Love is always a choice. It's, based on knowledge. it's not based on emotion. Right. You know, the emotional, the emotional part of it is, is when we're young and dumb. Dr. Terry Cummings right here just giving it to us raw, giving it to letting everybody know. I really appreciate That's it. Over. Terry, we got about 60 seconds here before the show ends, and I want to make sure that people know where to find uh, right, information CD, about your church and book. also the TC Finally uh, uh, album that you have. Uh, go ahead and let everybody know where they can uh, they can find that music and all that. Okay, the church is in Stone Mountain, Georgia at 5405 Memorial Drive, Building I. Uh, the, the music can be found anywhere. I mean, you can go to iTunes and get it. It's, it's everywhere digitally uh, under TC Finally or under Terry Cummings. The book is under uh, Dr. Terry Cummings, and the title is Limitless. It is on Amazon.com. But if you want a personal uh, personalized copy of the book, write me at TerryCummings9 at AOL.com, and, and I will send, I'll work you a deal if you buy two or more copies of the book. I'll uh, send you some. I have all free. kind of people in your oh, email. That's awesome, and you know, I want to, I want to, want to let everybody know. D and I read read your book this we week did, before, we did. and uh, we definitely enjoyed all of it. So you guys, make sure you go check out the book Limitless the by book. Dr. Terry Cummings. Get and the again, CD. D, thanks for uh, setting up this interview absolutely. for finding your frequency. I, I, you Dr. Know, Dr. Cummings, absolutely. thanks for being on. We appreciate it. And I love Darlene. Uh huh. Aww, okay, awesome. I appreciate y'all having me. Ladies and gentlemen, Absolutely. you're tuned in to Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Big shout out to all the listeners out there listening. Make sure you go check us out on all of the social spheres at Radio Ryan 1, at Jeff Spinney 2, at Voice America TRN. And of course, check out the website, findingyourfrequency.net. We'll see you guys next week right here on Finding Your Frequency.